Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings. Welcome to this session of the Nonprofit Exchange. Our guest today is a longtime dear friend. Um, we call each other brother and sister. My friend Sharita Herring and I are so aligned in philosophies and, 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 and mechanisms and systems. Um, so Sharita's got a whole lot more experience in the, in the nonprofit realm. And I, I, when I talk about you, I say this is the queen of nonprofits. She's got it covered. So I, there's no way I can talk about the vast experience that you have and the knowledge base you have and your passion for working with people and helping them get launched. So Sharita, would you talk a little bit about yourself? Give people a little background, like who is Sharita Herring and why are you talking about nonprofits? And then we'll kick into the topic for the day. Well, um, I didn't know that I was going to step into this arena, but Hugh, all my life, and I always tell people this as I'm teaching now, all my life I had been that person that even as a kid, I wanted to go and help Mr. Brown as he was raking, or if there was a kid at school that was bullied, I was the one that had lunch with them. You know, whoever we are and whatever we do shows up early in life. And it was when I relocated, I, I actually took my young sons and moved to Los Angeles back on July 1988. And I had the opportunity in November 88 to start working at a YMCA and I came alive. It's like, I, I mean, I, I was loving life anyway. I was a, I was working for Sprint, teaching and speaking actually, a, a trainer for Sprint. And, but it, I didn't know, you know how you don't realize that you really don't have it great yet until you step into your greatness. And it's like the YMCA opened me really brought Sharita Herring out. And from there, in 94, I started there in 88. I quit in 94 and started the KI Foundation. What does KI mean? Ah, it stands for Creative with the K, Creative Images Foundation. And we're actually working on our name change. After being in business almost 30 years, uh, the, the same way that I, when I work with my clients, you, you don't want to lock yourself into something. Well, a lot of times when people hear creative, images they think are your graphic design company or something like that where actually i was a computer trainer uh also when i would and and i've done graphic design but the reason why i named it that is i help people with creative strategies and how to work in their passion creatively through grants and nonprofit. i just thought i would do something cute and call it with a k but you know when you're naming something you got to watch how you're branding because i when i initially started i kept having to say creative with a k Creative with the K because if they can spell, they won't find me spelling it correctly with the C. So that's uh, the story about creative images. The name. Yes. So we've got an interesting topic today. It's uh, nonprofits, the stepchild of business. Now, what is that about? Well, I call it stepchild because it's just like when uh, think of the redhead stepchild when they're talking about it on television, or when you think of Cinderella. Cinderella was doing a whole lot of work behind the scenes that actually no one else saw, but she received less attention. 
And people don't realize the impact that the nonprofit arena has, not only in the United States, but across the globe. Something as simple as when we recently were in a down economy, from 2007 to 2009, mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, Tactical Philanthropy and John Hopkins did a study over 21 states. And while the for-profit arena was uh, laying off by 3.3%, the nonprofit arena was increasing by 2.5%. Say it's that again. Say yes. that again. Yes. As the for-profit arena was laying off, 3.3%, the nonprofit arena was increasing by 2.5%. Oh. And the crazy thing is I don't see why our economists don't talk about that. They're too busy talking about um, the minor things that you know, they think they're going to drive traffic to their website. It's just, yeah. you know, this is, this is stuff of substance, my yeah. word. So um, I don't, sorry to get you off track there, but you threw that statistic out and that was like, whoa, that's amazing. I know, right? Right. When right. was that? When was that point in history? That was 2007 to 2009 when they did that study over 21 states. Like wow. The nonprofit arena is a trillion dollar industry. And, um, and so it, it, it's, it's the, I think it's the third largest uh, business sector in the United States. So when you're third large, man, you're just throwing out some awesome statistics. Um, so you came out of the business arena to purposely move into the nonprofit arena, right? Yes, yes. Like I said, I was working for Sprint and I, I loved it, but it just wasn't, I don't know, my, my soul wasn't coming alive in every, I didn't see myself being there for the next 20 years. And I relocated to Los Angeles and just happened to, I was working for a temp agency and just, they sent me to the YMCA and I started out at the headquarters, which was perfect because I worked for the CFO, the chief financial officer. And I saw how the YMCA handled endowments and grants and that kind of thing by working for the CFO at the headquarters. So when I moved then to one of the branches, because as a single mom, I realized that if I worked for a branch, my sons could take more advantage of the programs and services. And as an employee, it was free. Of course, you know, that just really worked out for me. And uh, I think for them too, I ended up becoming a grant writer and a fundraiser for the organization and uh, doing fundraising campaigns. And it just truly immersed me into this arena. And I'm telling you, that's when I came alive. I'm like, oh my God, I found my home, you know? Well, ever since I've known you, you've had this exuberance and passion for the work that you do and you want to help people. And you, um, you have a nose for figuring out where the money is. And, uh -huh. but let's talk a little bit about that piece. You, you worked with YMCA, you were able to do grant writing. Um, right now you're teaching people how to launch and grow their nonprofit and how to make themselves fundable. There's a lot of things you do, but, um, and you and I are, have been on and are on several projects together. And I, I very much appreciate being on projects together because I know if you're in there, you're taking care of some of the substantive parts that people sometimes do wrong. Um, and I'm working on the people part. You know, how do you integrate the strategy with performance? That's where a lot of a lot of businesses, nonprofits, churches. That's where a lot of organizations have their downfall. Mm -hmm. But but um, you don't write grants now, but you help people be fundable. So but you've got this business expertise. So you're not just blowing smoke when you're, you're talking about 
how we install some of those principles into a nonprofit. So where are some of the gaps in the nonprofits where they don't really understand some of those, those systems that businesses use to make money? Well, there's so many gaps, but you know, one of the first things that comes to mind is a lot of times people put the cart before the horse. They are saying, Sharita, I need a grant. But then when I look at their structure, they're not ready. Maybe they, yeah, some, some of them have even been uh, in business for 10, 15 years and have never gone after a grant, but they've never prepared their documents for a grant. And so it's very important to be very clear on your projects. Project development in narrative form is very important. You're doing it every day, but a lot of people don't know how to put their programs into narrative form and to also show what are your outcomes. They want to hear those hard numbers. Hugh, the same way that I gave you hard numbers um, and facts about the nonprofit arena and jobs and the layoffs, when grant funders are reading the documents of programs, no matter how effective you've been, that you know that you've been, you've got to be clear with the with the funder. If you've been in business for 10 years, you know, you might say something like for the past 10 years, our, our comprehensive programs have affected more than, than 6,000 youth, five, uh, uh, you know, um, 900 families, with 80% of them being from, uh, you know, African-American, 15% uh, being white, and, and, you know, the 5% other. You know, you've got to be able to have those statistics about your programs and services, or you're not going to be effective in the grants arena. You and I meet a lot of people when we go to conferences and uh, other places. And I find, I'm sure, I'll just see if you see the same thing. I find a lot of people that think if I just had money, I would be successful. When in fact, what you just pointed out, they're not ready for money because if they had money, they wouldn't use it wisely. They don't have the structure. They don't have the programs in place. They don't have the plan and the team. So there's, besides having those things in place to be able to track the money, even if they got the money, it wouldn't help them. What do you, what's your read on that? Well, it's like with any business. First of all, that's why I call it the stepchild of business. It is a business. It is actually a corporation. And it's like with any business. You have to know how to operate in that business. You've got to have good management. Mm -hmm. You have to do, you have to know how to brand your business. You have to know how to operate and, and what's, uh, it, it, when you write a grant proposal, most don't realize it, but it is a business plan. It's just to those other investors. Grant funders are investors. And so when you're submitting to them the same way that you would do in a for-profit business, you've got you've to you know, be on your P's and Q's, and they've got to be able to see that through narrative format, which is your uh, presented business plan or grant proposal. So if you're not ready, you know, like, for instance, I pulled up at a restaurant that I used to to love in LA and I hadn't been there for a while and I had been telling a girlfriend of mine that came in town her husband was coming the next day and uh, I was telling them about this restaurant when we pulled up the restaurant was closed oh. and come to find out doing a little background it was closed for management <laughs> you know so even in this what I call stepchild of business you have to be able to know how to manage your business Oh, that is, that is so crucial. That's so crucial. Uh -huh. So um, Russell and I have been on a journey together. Um, he, he's come on and uh, he's a wayfinder in CenterVision. And let's just say that, uh, let people know that Center, uh, CenterVision Leadership Foundation was, uh, you helped 
me set that up initially and create the 501c3 and help me get this thing launched. Since then, that was 2010, I believe. Since then, we've published the magazine for three years. We've had this, this interview series, the Nonprofit Exchange and podcast going for three years. We, we have uh, tens of thousands of listeners to this at this point. We're rebuilding, but we have a, a community for community builders. And I don't know if you know this, but I've done 25 live events in the last two years impacting 22,000 people live and virtually. And so we... Those numbers, those hard numbers. Yeah. So we're in a place that we could uh, start moving in the grant space. We primarily have generated revenue from business streams with event registrations and, and sponsor dollars and donor dollars. So we've, we've done that kind of bootstrapping. And I've, uh, I'm, as you know, I'm a recovering Scottish Presbyterian, so frugal is part of my DNA. We're, we're, we're turning, turning the corner, and, and it's just such a joy to work with uh, such, such enthusiastic, competent people as, as my friend Sharita Herring and my brother Russell David Dennis, who have hogged the whole conversation. So say hello to Russell. Do you have some thoughts about what, what we're talking about, Russell? And do you have some, some thoughts to interject, but also questions? Well, things are getting very exciting in the sector, and, and uh, so it's something that I kind of had a heart for, but I didn't know it until I met Sharita at CEO Space wow. and started dipping back into that experience I had at the tribe and all of the struggles uh, by not having a diverse funding source. Uh, you know, when I took that job, Sharita, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh -huh. And if I had known how much I didn't know, I might have ran for the exit screaming, thinking I'm being <laughs> over my head. But once you're there and you're in the middle of it, you have to do it. So, yeah. you know, this is this is passion driven. Passion is really important. And you really, really have to know why you're doing this because there are gonna oh, yeah. be some days, there are gonna be some days that are just a challenge and that why is the only fuel. But yeah. that said, you know, knowing what you know and what you don't know is critical so that you can go out and ask your questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's what we're talking about here as far as being able to communicate to people what you're passionate about and what you're doing mm -hmm. and systematically going to look for all sorts of resources. Yeah. One of the things I don't think people think about when it comes to grants is did they actually invite me to apply or did I talk to somebody on the ground before I wrote the application and stuck it in the mail? Uh -huh. So I, I think that we're starting to understand that people are starting to understand now how important relationships are. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it, it's best to take the time to look for uh, people who are in the line with us and write a few applications than to throw a bunch out and burn a lot of time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that's really important. And uh, but this work of laying that foundation for explaining who you are, I've watched you try to do that with some smaller organizations and you, you ran into some uh, some difficulties trying to help people. What do you find are some of the biggest struggles that people have when they're trying to get something off the ground? What is it that you find stops people in their tracks more often than not? Well, see, again, and that's another reason why I call it stepchild of business. People expect in the nonprofit arena that when they submit one grant, they should get that money. 
And even if it's a great proposal, that maybe that funder had already dispersed all their funds. And, you know, and so I've heard people say, you know, like, again, like with Hugh and forming, helping them with forming the center vision. And we formed over 600 organizations operating globally. And nothing hurts me more than when I run into someone after a year or so and I say, hey, how's it going? How's that nonprofit? And people just, they'll say, oh, I've just got a little nonprofit, you know, like it's a hobby instead of seeing it as a business. And they'll say, oh, I let that go. You know, I submitted a grant and I told, I had been told not to step into that arena. So after I didn't get that grant, you know, I just let it go. And, but they've been operating in their for-profit business and looking for investors for 15 years, but they don't give up. And that's what I mean. Treat it like it's the stepchild of business. Uh, when you said, one is, what, what are the one of the main things that I run into is that, again, that they expect more from this industry without putting as much in. You know, you cannot have a business that's going to, to thrive and survive if you're not putting the, the sweat equity into it. But so many people step into this arena expecting it to be like magic. Now, speaking, you know, like with grant writers, they expect magic from grant writers. But a grant writer is just like someone writing your business plan. They can only make that plan as good as the information received. And so, uh, and that's why when I'm teaching grant writing now, I mostly teach to managers and executives of nonprofits because they need to know how to initially get their own money before you expect someone else to be able to go and get your money. Now, we, yeah. the three of us met at CEO space. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to shut up and let you ask another question. Mm -hmm. And I, I still today think CEO space is the premier business conference in the world. I met you guys there. Most of the individuals that I, that I interact with now, and even if I vacation, I'm going somewhere where there's a CEO space grad, because like the three of us, it brings individuals that are the thought leaders of the world together. Well, you know, I, I just wanted people to know that probably did not know about CEO space. When we say that, that's, that's a business forum. And so I wanted to explain that really quickly. But uh, the, and, and the other thing is, had it not been for CEO space, I mean, I'm a grad from, from uh, 299, February, 1999. And I've been a fat there since 2008, 2009, something like that. I went global in 1999 within three days of being at CEO Space. It was CEO Space that launched me further into the stratosphere because they bring entrepreneurs together from all over the world. And once I started working with those individuals from, from either Paris or Canada or uh, Nigeria, See, you don't have to actually go somewhere for your footprint to show up there. And I've got pretty big feet. And so literally, but I have a footprint now all over the globe. And I just want to personally and, and across the social media, thank CEO space for that. You know, it's a, it's a global, it's a global network of, and you're right. You meet, um, you meet influencers there that have a pretty wide footprint and influence people all over the world. And every time I see you there, it's like you're giving away free money. People are all over you. <laughs> you're just like Charita the magnet. Now you were talking about, um, and we're using business terms. And so people who give money to the to the charity are investors. And so in a in a business, they're looking for return on investment, which means they get growth of their money. In a yeah. charity, I'm going to reframe 
it's it's um, it's a different form different form of results. So the ROI is a results of impact. So they they're they're investing in the impact, and 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 I'll ask Russell to talk about how he talks to people about um, donating and being on the board. He 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 interviews them about what they're interested in. So there's a couple of other R's here. Uh, you get to have a conversation, and Russell alluded to it earlier, and I'd like you to talk about creating relationships inside of these foundations. I call this ROR, return on relationships. So mm -hmm. that, to me, people donate to you because you've got a relationship and they see value, but they don't do it without the relationship. And then creating a relationship in a company for a sponsorship or a foundation for, for a grant, um, there's a relationship piece there. And ultimately, what people are funding is ROL, return on life. What, what these social benefit organizations do is they add value of life to communities where, where they work, you know, locally or, or globally. And I was with one that's, that's in the early stages yesterday, and we, we did their strategy so we can start looking at uh, what kind of competencies we need and where's the revenue coming from. So, um, and I read the, the really brilliant narrative you wrote for their 1023. And so looking at all of those, those pieces of the puzzle is fascinating. But our job as, as resources for these entrepreneurs who are people who look at shiny objects, our, our work is to help them stay focused, help them stay in sequence, and help them to uh, locate, find, and embrace the resources that will let them be successful. So go back to my return on relationship and cultivating relationships, you know, assuming you have the, the data that says this is how we're organized, this is our team, this is the impact we're going to create. So talk about creating relationships in the different sectors where, where funds come into our, our, our business charity. Okay, there's a few things. Um, first, when we're talking about ROI, the return on the investment, in the nonprofit arena, also that return on the investment is the write-off. See, people say, well, I, uh, what's the benefit of, a, of an investor giving if they're not going to get some money back? Mm -hmm. a, a great write-off is money back, you know? So that's the return on the investment. And so those funders, because they must give the money away to get that ROI, they're like that kid in the back of the room waving their hands, choose me, ooh, 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 you know? And then you've got someone else that's reading a book, you know, and they're hiding behind their book like this because they don't want to answer the question. So to me, that's, that's almost like where the investors are. They're, they're, most people don't even know where they are. And so, but the chief, but the teacher, just like those that are that are trying to do business that don't that are afraid of the nonprofit arena, they're always choosing the one with the book. They're always choosing the one that's hiding because they think that that's the better bet. And and the chief and and so that's how people are looking at grants and those investors that are waving their hands saying, "Choose me," because that's the only ROI I'm going to have, the only way I'm going to reach it. And they're ignoring them. They're saying it's too good to be true. Now. I want to also talk about relationships. I always advise be a little careful about relationships because when you're submitting for grants, see now donors and those, those you know, especially donors, those people that know you where you cultivated relationships. Yes, people give to people. And, it, and when you're raising dollars, that's what happens. But when you step into the grants arena and, or when you go into sponsorships and you're going after a sponsor, uh, like from Kellogg or uh, Target, 
it really is supposed to be dependent upon the document that you created. If someone can get a sponsorship, like if I can get a sponsorship from the California Community Foundation because of my relationship with someone that works there, that's conflict of interest. And an organization is doing wrong by that. Um, yes, they're supposed to know who you are. You can call them and kind of talk to them about your program or project. Please don't call, uh, you guys don't call every grant funder with all kinds of questions. Um, but if you, you can easily call them and say, look, you know what, I've been reading your guidelines and my organization is doing this. And I'm just wondering, are we a fit? Should I go on and submit this? And you can speak to their community liaison. And yes, they will answer those kinds of questions. But they don't want you calling in that and going, as you're going down the guidelines, calling back. Oh, you know, on question six, it says this. And then after they answer that, call back. You know what, on number eight, no, that's not going to fly. And so with relationships, yes, they're important for sponsorships and donations uh, from those that, uh, especially when they're giving from their own dollar, when it's based on it coming from a company, it is supposed to be dependent upon how well your document was written and it fits their guidelines versus a relationship. An organization can pretty much be shut down. That's, that's going against their IRS guidelines and the way that they're supposed to be operating uh, as a giver of funds. It's supposed to be no conflicts of interest and solely based off of what was presented. Mm -hmm. Russ, you got a question in this arena? Yeah, I, lo I love that. You know, it's that part of that relationship building what they like when you approach these folks is that they know you've done their homework. You ask for 10 minutes and the first question out of your mouth is something that's right at the top of their website. Just uh -huh. stick it forth in yourself. You're all done <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but, you know, it's metrics. And, uh, and that sounds like a dirty scientific word, but you, you've got two types of metrics. You, you've got uh, you've got the return, some sort of value that you're placing. So it's a monetary return, it's a social return. And so we've got this convergence going on with the private sector doing cause marketing, with the non-government uh, foundations, non-profits. Uh, so you've got a convergence of different things that I've seen uh, in some articles, they actually call it uh, the fourth sector. Uh -huh. And uh, so you've got enterprises that come under umbrella of a group of different types of entities that come together and make things happen. But we're looking at value and you have to demonstrate some kind of value. And when you're putting your information together and this, this wonderful framework, you've probably seen the framework that Hugh and David Grudebelt and as, as, as part of my wayfinding duties, I like using that because it gives me a baseline to start asking questions. And when I sit in front of somebody and I talk about all of these things and I start asking all of these questions, mm -hmm. uh, they think, oh, you know, you what is all of this paperwork you got here? A lot of this stuff looks kind of tedious. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it looks touchy-feely and... Uh, but if you don't take the time to do that stuff, you're not really clear on what it is that you offer people. So, and I tell them, I said, by the time we take time to sit down and work through uh, these handouts that I have, and then we, we start plugging stuff into this framework, it's not a full strategic plan, but it's a framework. 
I said, once we uh, uh, walk you through that process, we put things in here, then you have some clarity and you can go out and you can go build these proposals. Uh, I think people are under the illusion that if you get some fundraising whiz and you get a grant writer, all your problems are solved, you can just sit back, cut them a check, lean back, put your hands back, just watch the money roll in. That's not quite how it is because nobody knows your organization like you know your organization. Yeah, and, that is uh, right. And so people help you get there. And uh, I think I think part of that appeal when people, and I love watching you at CEO space, mm -hmm. I don't give a lot of my Sharita time because the mob is just there. They just, they just, uh, so, but it's, it's marvelous to watch you there because people flock to you. And it's, it's not just because you're so wonderful, you're a wonderful person to spend time around, but people start thinking, I really want to do something. I got a heart for doing something. And it just looks absolutely impossible. Uh, and and they, they look to you. How, how many of these folks that come to you, and I know that you're mobbed all the time, uh, but but how many how many folks that you talk to uh, spend a lot of time talking about that passion, but then talking about how impossible it is? Oh my God! And, and you know what, what are the first things you say to them to get them over that hurdle? I'm so glad that you ended with passion because I just I what I do, and I've learned to do this very well. And and I I say that it's just a God given talent. And that's why I said I came alive in this arena, but I'm still, I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes after I get off of a call and I'm a preacher's daughter and, I, and I'm not ashamed of that. I love that I give praise. And sometimes when I get off the phone, I almost can't wait because I, I'm up and I'm pacing and I'm just saying, Lord, thank you for giving me this avenue. Because what I do is I help people see that the impossible is possible for their passions. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even if you are a dog walker, you're walking past individuals that need you, but that dog walker isn't, isn't aware that there's grants for them to walk seniors' dogs and, and the disabled and individuals whose homes they're walking past that need their service. There are individuals that love the fact that they can that they can go fishing. I talk to Harry Lay all the time about, Harry, there's a grant for that. And you know, I am, I, I'm close to getting that book out. There's a grant for that. But I said, Harry, as much as you love bass fishing and you, you would take your father or you could take a few seniors, that's a senior program. And grants would totally cover that cost, uh, get you a, a few more bass boats, pay you a salary while you're out with these seniors. It's just people don't know. They say, that's impossible. And I'm like, I'm showing you where, uh, the, the impossible is possible. And so my business has taken a total turn. I had no idea that I'd be working with individuals and truly helping them find profit for their passion. And it is, it's, it's sometimes at CEO space, I, sometimes someone is like dragging someone down the hall, challenging me. All right, tell her, tell her what you do. And Sharita, there's no grant for that. And I haven't been stumped yet because um, one of the things that I also say, now I had a guy that wrote on one of my evaluations. I didn't, though I thought the, the class was wonderful, I didn't come here to go to church. Well, I try not to step on anyone's toes, but to me, there's absolutely, whether you call it God, the universe, mother nature, or whatever, there's absolutely no way that something is in you 
that you passionately love. It's been trying to creep up in you since you were a child. You, you eat, sleep, and drink it if you could. There's absolutely no way that the way I feel, that God would put that in you and, and, and you can't survive off of it. I honestly know, and this arena has showed me how I can help people with faith comes finance. If you find out who you are and live and up op- and start to operate from truly your inner core, there's absolutely funding for you and you will see it thrive and your life will change. And so, for instance, like there was a CPA when I was teaching for the Learning Annex in San Diego. And this guy, you know, I go around the room and say, who, who are, why are you here? What do you do? And he says, well, I'm a, I'm a CPA and I make good money. But he even had a wrinkle across his head and he didn't, he seemed mad that he was a CPA. And I said, are you mad about it? He said, I, you know, I just make good money and I, you know, I like to make money. But his eyes didn't dance. And I said, you know what, if you had three days to do absolutely nothing, what would you, I didn't even finish getting out of my, and he sat up on the edge of his seat and he said, oh man, Miss Herring, you know, when the tide is high, even when it's a work day, I'm out there on that water, I got my wetsuit on, his whole mannerisms changed, his eyes danced, his body language, he sat up on the edge of his chair and he was showing me the manner, he forgot that there were other business people around. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what I help people do. When I can reach your soul, I guarantee you there's funding for you and you will not regret stepping into this arena. So you guys, I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years and just now, I mean, I get chill bumps. I get chill, but we are in a time right now where people are more ha- unhappy than any other time. We're at a time where men spend an average of, of 11 hours more a week than women in leisure time. But what? But yes, even myself, I want to work. I want to fry the bacon, put it, put it in a pan, fry it, you know, and all that. Got the baby on the hip. But what we don't realize is still a lot of times when we get home, we're still doing a lot more at home than the men. So women are stressing more. 85% of people across the globe spend eight to nine hours a day in jobs that they despise. This arena that I'm in is helping people to love what they do every day. It's changing lives. And I, you guys, I, I, the excitement I know will never die for me in this. I love it. So <laughs> I, I was working with our friends, uh, our friend Philip yesterday on his, ah, his, Mr. his AGIF Foundation, and yes. um, um, a friend of mine called and said, why don't you come over? He, he founded a worldwide nonprofit called, uh, he founded it as Stop Hunger Now, and it's mm-hmm. now Rise Against Hunger. You may have heard of it. They, I think he said they're going to they're gonna pack 88 million meals this year, and their, mm-hmm. their, their vision is to eliminate hunger, period. Mm-hmm. And the UN has come on. They think we can eliminate hunger by 2030. But there's organizations that do that have high impact. So he, as we were talking about the vision and the mission and the unique value proposition and solving the problems, he said, you know, we need to define the impact of your work. And so um, most people aren't aware of the, of the impact of nonprofits globally or even in their area we're not very good at describing it. So talk a little bit about how do we as leaders focus on the impact that we have and how do we define that and how do we share that? Well, are you talking about the uh, leaders in general or are you talking about uh, as far as the information that's going to go into their documents? Um, the leaders in nonprofits, the, the, they, they really, um, I see a lot of documents that don't have it. 
but just generally when they talk to their board, they speak at Rotary, they send out a newsletter, they, 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 how do they, um, how do they get their head around? We really need to talk about the impact in any sense. So those people that are clergy or their nonprofit executive director, um, how do we, how do we help people get their head around defining that impact that's so important that really is part of attracting or a big part of attracting the funding they need? Yes. Well, in the nonprofit arena, they call it more deliverables. How do you, how do you define your deliverables? And it's, it's like, like if I'm talking about KI and someone said, Sharita, how do you define your deliverables? What are your deliverables? What impact have you had? And so, uh, you, you know, I may say, uh, since 1994, we formed over 600 organizations. I've aided in raising over 30 million, coaching from global leaders like Vicente Fox to those that are working in the trenches at Skid Row in Los Angeles, California. Those are just, that's just a snapshot of impact. Can I put that in writing with more information and showing deliverables? Absolutely. And so, so often we're caught up in the day-to-day and we're not tracking our deliverables. And so, and most people aren't used to doing that. Or they say, well, Sharita, I don't like paperwork and that's not what I do. You know, you could set up a simple spreadsheet in Excel that could start tracking your deliverables. For instance, one lady with childcare, she was, you know, people will brag about what their organizations are doing, but they don't know how to put it on paper. And she said, Sharita, I've been in business for 27 years. I've had, you know, I, uh, I've had over 7,000 children that have gone on to college and, you know, and I said, well, how do you know? And she said, well, I talked to the parents and, 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 and some of them come back and work with me. I said, but are you tracking that? Do you have something that show, uh, those 7,000 and that they're going on that. Well, how would I track that? And I said, everything we do, there's a way to track it. And that's why like when I'm forming an organization, I'm showing them how to develop their tracking mechanisms. But she said, Sharita, and they all end up being leaders. And I said, okay, let's, let me break it down to being really simple. Initially, let's say we start from today. How are you going to track if you're working with five-year-olds, whether they already right now have a leadership mentality? And she said, how would I do that? And I said, start out with an initial questionnaire. I said, you could ask something as simple as ask five questions. And one of them might be, if, if your mom pulls up at a birthday party, do you, one, and have it where they would check, you know, one, two, or three. Do you, one, sit in the car and wait for your mom to get out to take you to the party? Two, get out and go on up to the porch, but still don't go in until someone you know comes up and you go in with them. Or three, do you get out of the car hardly saying goodbye to your mom and run straight into the party? You know, well, what are those three questions going to answer? If a child says that I sit in the car and wait on my mom, he either has low self-esteem or he doesn't, or he has needs uh, improved communication skills or whatever. If the one that gets out on the porch, he feels pretty much has good leadership, but maybe his, his, communication skills are lacking. So he doesn't want to go in and have to talk by himself. He waits on a buddy. But that number three is that leader that he's going to go in charging straight into whatever it's going to do, talking to people or whatever. See, we can identify our deliverables in so many ways, but organizations don't know how to do that. And that's one of the things that I do in helping individuals with grants is showing them how to track their deliverables. Well, and, and Russell and I embed that in their culture from the beginning. We eliminate, it's in even our planning meetings. We, we don't use the word agenda. 
we use deliverables. So we start thinking deliverables for this hour, you know, for this day. You know, what are we going to accomplish? And we, so we define the outcomes. And right. we talked about this earlier, and I want to I want to see if I can put it. We can put it in capsule form, bullet points, or just go back to why nonprofits don't get funded. You you talked about that. I just want to kind of kind of isolate it here because uh, I, there's so many people that say, you know, I tried it, it didn't work, and I and I want to say, well, you know, I, I wanted to lose weight, so I tried running one day last week last year, and it didn't work. So. <laughs> You know, so um, let's just sort of get our heads around, okay, what what keeps us uh, from getting funded with, let's just isolate grants. Mm -hmm. Well, again, the deliverables are very important. Mm -hmm. Just like when we go to CEO space, what are individuals learning all week? How to raise what? Capital. They're learning the strategies. They're learning how to develop their business plan. They're learning language. They're learning about blue sky, all these things, that, the requirements, how to talk to investors. But the moment someone steps into the nonprofit arena, they say, oh, I don't want to learn that. I need a grant writer. They're going to learn that. Why is it that people will learn all the steps that they need to, to get the funding for their for-profit business? but they don't want to learn that in the nonprofit arena. And see, by not learning what, what's required in a grant proposal, what is the language of the nonprofit arena, they won't even recognize if a grant writer is qualified. And so I've had people to say, Sharita, I brought in you know, nine grant writers and none of them were successful. And I said, well, what do you know about grant writing? Oh, I don't wanna know that. Have you ever even looked at a grant application? Uh, I don't wanna know that then how do you even know that those grant, that what they wrote was effective, was really who you are, was showing your deliverables. And then also, if that person, like when someone goes to a meeting, Hugh, when you go to CEO space or any conference, when you come back with cards, you've made notes on what, the, what those individuals, how they can work in your strategy or whatever. If someone is constantly at meetings where the grant writer is not, they're at meetings, they're networking, all of that. They don't know to bring that information back to the grant writer because that's planning and development funding. Funding. Do you know if, if, if those that are listening, if you go to Google, that's where I get my best searches. If you go to Google, type in grants, comma, planning and development. Look at the grant funders that come up. Grants, comma, strategic planning. Grants, comma, management training. I mean, there's grants for all of that, but if you don't know how to put that on paper, then again, see, you're expecting a miracle worker of the grant writer, but they're not at all these places where you're networking, so they don't know to bring also all that information back and resources of who you've met. If, if you as the executive understands this process, then you will know, got that business card? Oh, this is a great possible collaboration. Grant writer, I want to possibly collaborate with them for this, this, and this. And you hand now, you're steadily funding, funneling information to your grant writer. Now, let me say something really quick about grant writers. Mm -hmm. People have said, well, uh, you know, I want to hire a grant writer, but I want to pay them after the grant is received. Again, misunderstanding about the industry. A grant writer is a business plan writer. How many individuals would write a business plan for you in the for-profit arena and get paid on the contingency of when you're going to get an investor? No, grant writers are paid for the work that they're doing at that time. 
And so to expect a grant writer, I mean, they're running a business also. And the grant might not, you might not get that particular grant. People expect grant writers, again, to guarantee the grant. Who writes a business plan and guarantees that? You know, so you have to have the same expectation. This is a corporation, right? Uh, this is a corporation business. All nonprofits must be a corporation before they submit that Form 1023 to become a tax exempt corporation. So, um, again, it's about individuals learning the industry. Now, the other thing, as far as grant writers, uh, Russell, you said something a while back. You didn't know what you didn't know. I train grant writers also because many of them have worked for a company. Let's say one of them had worked for Children's Hospital and she was very successful in getting them multi-millions of dollars. So she decided to start her own business, but she was recycling grants that others had already written. She didn't realize what she didn't know until she started her own grant writing firm. And this is why I, you know, she didn't understand project development. See, that hospital was already developed. It already had relationships. It already had been funded. And so when you, now she's going out and trying to work with someone that had never received a grant before, didn't know about collaboration, didn't know about strategic planning, all of that. And so that grant writer didn't know what she didn't know. Now, if you got someone that's hiring this grant writer and they don't know that she doesn't know what she doesn't know, what kind of success are you going to have? She's not trying to mislead you. It's just there's things she didn't know that she doesn't know she doesn't know. But if that executive understands grant writing and understands the kinds of questions that a qualified grant writer should be asking, that person would not hire that grant writer because they would hear it. The same way when you're hiring a person for a position, you can tell who's, who's qualified for that position and who's not. But when an executive is ignoring the fact that they need to know about grants also, they're hurting their business and they're not going to see success because they also need to learn the language of the nonprofit arena. Mm -hmm. In the for-profit arena, the individuals that you sell to or work with or whatever are called your customers and clients. In the nonprofit arena, they're called target population or program participants. When you're raising dollars in the for-profit arena, you say, I'm raising capital a lot of times. In the nonprofit arena, if you say you're raising capital and a, a nonprofit investor, a grant funder might be hearing you, but they don't, but they, but you don't realize most of the time when you say capital in a nonprofit arena, it's for bricks and mortar. You're looking to raise the dollars for a building or rehab a building. Maybe that investor that's listening to you only gives dollars for salaries and programs. So now you've missed that investor because you aren't using the right language. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Well, that makes that makes a huge amount of sense, Russell. What are you thinking? You know, language is everything, and you know that, that out of those four steps to building a high performance nonprofit, that fourth step is communicating the value you bring. And this is where people miss the boat if you're not clear on on value, because there's a there's a sense that we're walking in here. Oh God, please give us some money because we're really helping some really sick children and and uh, we, we just, we really, really need this money. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is you're walking in, you're offering valuable service mm -hmm. that either a business or, or other government entity, nobody is positioned to do the things that you can do. You've got something that's unique. Mm -hmm. 
You're filling something that's not out there. People don't understand that. They'll teach that in business school. How do you differ from other people in the market? Well, if you differ, that's not a bad thing. But who else is doing the same type of work? Are you duplicating this? If it is similar to somebody else, are you are you benchmarking on somebody who's been doing this very successful? And who are your partners? Yes. And nowadays, they expect you to play nice and collaborate. Sharita uh, probably remembers the time back in the old days when you did a collaboration. Uh, we did a, a manufacturing collaborative with all five of the tribal communities up in Maine about 20 years ago. And everybody was really excited because that was unusual. Uh -huh. It's expected now. You've yeah. got to know how to play nice with others. Well, and see, the thing is, even for-profits are collaborating. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they make, in, in the nonprofit arena, we say collaborate. Now, I'm starting to hear it more in other industries, but it's always that language has mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Got some Wi-Fi stuck there. Okay. Those are collaborations. Those are collaborations. And so, and, and they're collaborating because it brings more customers in the door. And you're serving a, a broader range of people than you would have been on your own. And this is why grant funders want to see collaboration. They want to see a bigger bang for their buck. And so the, the nonprofit arena operates so similar, similarly to the for-profit arena, but people think it's different and it's not. Just like the first thing people think because the term nonprofit, they say, Sharita, I need to make a profit. Well, if you have multi-million dollar organizations, they must be making a profit. Nonprofit doesn't mean you can't make a profit. It is a non-stock corporation, which those are the 501c3s. You know, um, there's, there's no stock because the return on the investment is the write-off. They're not waiting on money back. They're, and that's why, again, the, the conflict of interest relationships should not exist. You know, and so that's very important. The other thing is that uh, just, like, just like Philip Arbeck, who we were just talking about, I wanted to mention him for a moment. Philip didn't know that he could have a nonprofit. He has helped, you know, he, he, he transcribes information in more than I think 80 countries, you know, so that people can communicate across languages. But he didn't realize that there are small nonprofits and schools and others that need that service that cannot afford the service. So people think when you step into the nonprofit arena, you got to start a whole nother business actually and start doing something totally different. No, you have customers here or clients that can that can pay for your service or receive whatever you do. And you have individuals here that cannot. All grants do is it evens the playing field. So the charity is not you working for free. It is the individuals able to receive your service either at no cost or lower cost because the grants are paying you to do that exact same service. You're just broadening your client base with grants and making a difference at the same time. And I love that. No matter what you're doing in this arena, you're making a difference. How cool is that? <laughs> that is exciting. So on the, we got the last uh, countdown here to the top of the hour with this, this recording. I'm going to give a, a sponsor uh, moment here and want to give you the last, the last uh, comments, Rita, just to summarize, you know, what's the most important thing people can do in their charity? What's a tip or a thought you want to leave people with? 
our, our podcast are sponsored by uh, WordSprint. Word, Bill Gilmer and his team at WordSprint print nonprofit performance magazine. Russell and Sharita have been contributors to the magazine. It's a resource for leaders everywhere, especially for those leaders in the nonprofit sector. But over and above having a print house, Bill Gilmer works with charities everywhere with donor relations programs. He does a mail campaign to let your donors know about the good work you're doing. That way the donors are engaged with the messages about the impact of the dollars that they've given you. So when you come around to your annual campaign, they're going to be donors again, and they might raise the donation and they might other invite others. So go and check out WordSprint, WordSprint, like fast, WordSprint.com. And there's a tab there if you want to have a free consultation. Bill, is he's, he's done this for decades, and he's got research that shows the results from you managing the relationships and keeping your donors informed. So, Sharita, what do you want to leave people with as we close out this amazing interview? Well, I want them to pay attention in order to have impact. See, for instance, if you have a, someone that teaches a computer class or programming, and he has excellent programmers, and, and, and now they're ready to go out in the workforce, but he hasn't paid attention, he has a class of 10, and eight of them are excellent programmers, but they don't even communicate with each other in the class. So are you really preparing them for the workforce? So by watching, to have an impact, watch who you're serving. And if they're not communicators, then collaborate with an organization that teaches improved communication skills, leadership development, job readiness or career readiness. So that now you stay in your lane and you collaborate with the others that can, that now you, you've, you've, you've touched the, you've well-rounded the individuals that you're touching. So in order to have impact, you know, you've got to pay attention to who you serve. Sharita Herring, um, you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you so much for sharing the wealth of information with the Nonprofit Exchange listeners today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored. Thanks to you, Russ. Bye, bye, Dennis. It's great to see you. Wonderful blessings. I look forward to seeing you again sometime real soon. You know, I always call you Dennis instead of Russell. You know, it just seems like your first name should be Dennis to me. But oh, I got know. David jammed in the middle, so people get to, <laughs> I tried to wedge myself in between the San Diego Davids and get them to take me to a Padres game. I, I haven't been successful in that. So you've got three first names, Russell, David, Dennis. So yeah. Rita Herring, my sister, you're brilliant. If you want more information about the K- I Foundation, just go there, kifoundation.org. And there's lots of information, and we invite you to go check out Sharita. Thank you, Sharita. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.